electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Stop scrolling. Is TikTok really a risk to national security? New York Times columnist Tom Friedman. Are we going to ban any Chinese company? I'm much more worried about, frankly, Facebook than I am about TikTok today and the information Facebook has, how it was used to hack one of our elections. Layoffs, thousands of jobs cut, career consultant Jason Greer. For tech companies, they really don't care about layoffs because it's still about the business. It's still about the money. Recession talk, Intel's dismal quarter and the aftershocks of Chevron's massive stock buyback lead our Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin to question, well, everything. If the singularity is coming now in only seven years and we're going to... Okay, because I don't believe the singularity is coming in seven years. Why not? And last call, the owner of the New York Knicks, Rangers, and Madison Square Garden... James, the only one, Dolan. ...threatens to close the bar after a dust-up about facial recognition tech at venues. If you were the government, let's take China, the CCP. This is the CCP. The CCP is at 34th Street. It's Friday, January 27th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ Market Center in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Curtin. Becky is off today. We got a lot going on on this Friday, just the boys. Let's talk about Intel because uh, Joe and I, we were talking about this before the show began. Uh, take a look at this. Intel shares sliding after missing expectations. This is for the fourth quarter and now forecasting another weak quarter ahead. Intel now sees sales coming in between 10 and a half and 11 and a half billion dollars. That's 21% below, I'm saying below consensus of nearly $14 billion, which is below the lowest Wall Street estimate. CEO Pat Gelsinger saying the chipmaker is facing weak product demand due to the slumping PC market. Near term, the PC ecosystem continues to deplete inventory. For all of calendar year 22, our sell-in was roughly 10% below consumption, with Q4 undershifting meaningfully higher than full year. And Q1 expected to grow again to represent the most significant inventory digestion in our data set. While we know this dynamic will need to reverse, predicting one is difficult. A lot to chew on there. You know, we've seen Pat uh, Gelsinger out and about uh, talking policy in so many different places, um, you know, trying to build a big fab in the middle of the country. And yet uh, when it comes to the actual business, the business of the business, uh, things are a lot more complicated. very short article. What can you, if you look in the journal or other places for yeah. Intel, it's just like the environment is tough. Uh, it, there's a glut of chips now because of, I don't know, people worrying about a recession, whether we have one or I not. Know. We saw GDP was pretty good yesterday. Leesman points out that might be the last uh, number that sounds like 2.9% might not be there. President was excited about it uh, yesterday. What in God's name would the Americans give up the progress we've made? the chaos they're suggesting. I don't get it. That's why the MAGA Republicans deliberately choose to inflict this kind of pain on the American people. Why? Why? 
This nation has gone through too much. We've come too far to let that happen. I will not let it happen. Not on my watch. I will veto everything they send us. Saying that, you know, the MAGA types have been talking about a recession. It's not really the MAGA types talking about a recession. Everybody is, with the Fed doing what it's doing, everybody has been predicting it. I guess everybody could be wrong. I kind of hope they are, obviously. Well, but every, I wouldn't say, I don't think the prediction has come off the table. I mean, again, it you talk to the big no. bank CEOs about cash on the balance sheet in terms of the consumer, which has been, this is all, this, so far, the consumer's been holding up this whole game. And if you believe that these accounts get more, more dicey come June, July, this summer, then you tell me what next fall looks like. That, that's the pessimistic view. Hopefully it's not the case. Well, I hear you, but, you know, is that 2.9%, some people were saying how, as far as globally, that's, one of, that's a pretty good number. Yep. I mean, China's three, but that's the headline. The economy slows down, and yep. it's because of capital spending and what that, you know, the, the slowdown there and what that could mean for, for subsequent quarters. But I kind of feel for Intel, and it's uh, down about 50% from, from its all-time highs. It was like $64, it's going to be 27 today. Uh, but these numbers, I mean, when you guide... Uh, from 14 billion in sales next quarter to 10 and a half to 11 and a half. I mean, that is just, uh, you know, that's like falling off a cliff, basically. Right. And, and you can't make money when, when it falls that quickly. And, and it's expensive to make right. those chips. Uh, I, I don't know whether you blame Gelsinger or not. I mean, I don't know if anybody could have executed better in the over. And, and right. chips are. And look, is there, is there anything more cyclical, th that industry? Than, no, and than I will say to his credit, and, and you could argue it's his job, he really, he really helped push the CHIPS Act across the finish line. Yeah. Right? If you like industrial policy. You, I, someone but, said that yesterday, and you were surprised. they Because you know that most people don't think that's a great idea. Most people don't idea. like industrial policy. Don't think don't it's a great those, idea. If, if you're the CEO of a company that's the beneficiary of the CHIPS policy, you did your job if you got the CHIPS policy across right. the finish line. We can debate whether the chip policy is a good policy, a bad policy, whether industrial policy is good or bad. I'm just saying, yep. in terms of like, you know, clocking in and clocking out and doing what you're supposed to do, in that regard, he did that. You know that, uh, we're gonna talk about Visa, but you know there's another Dow component that's gonna report today that's gonna, the profits are gonna be eye-popping for Chevron. Here's just something that I thought about. I've seen lately, Whenever you talk about buybacks and dividends, yeah, but whenever you um, whenever you try to ascribe some blame to right. the Biden administration about oil prices, yeah, everybody will come back and say it's a global market has nothing yeah. to do with what happens in the United States. The United States does not set oil prices and can't really control global oil prices. Right. On the one hand, you say that. Okay. But now on the other hand, so Chevron is merely responding by doing what it does and selling oil by the barrel that it produces in this global marketplace, right. and the profits add up to this because the prices have been so much higher because of what's not set here and not the Biden administration's fault, but suddenly it's Chevron's fault because they're making way too much money. Okay, so I will buy into what you're saying, but then you need to promise me one thing. Did you drill more? You don't want no, to drill I'm more. I'm gonna tell you what you have to promise me. Okay. There, go back when to it, get the tape. We used to have debates in the morning where you would say, it's the it's the Biden administration's fault. I, I, I still say it is. Are as high as no, they I are. still it, it, I, we aren't producing as much. And, the, and as but Andrew, but, but as the swing but producer, you can't have it both ways. no, no. You, uh, but I just made that point by your uh, by saying that you're the one that says it's not the Biden administration's fault. It's global. 
So if you're going to admit that, then don't trash Chevron I'm, when they have good numbers. Well, but if you want to go to the other side, I'm I'll say you can't have it both ways. No, I'll so say I'll it is. I'll go with you. Right, on right. the buybacks are okay. Let, let's you go will. With, we'll shake hands on the buybacks and okay. dividends are okay. Right. But then, we, but then we then then it's not. Uh, and I'm not here to okay. uh, support the Biden right. administration or some other administration. I'm saying like it's not choose, just it's it's that Biden it, it's that Biden the Biden administration goes along with the global. Um, sort of war against fossil fuels that we that we saw so well at WEF, at Davos, and everything else. That's true. It is a and it's a. There's pressures everywhere to at least rush the transition, and we saw what happened in what could have happened in Europe if it had been a cold winter. I mean, you cannot rush this because we have a 21st century lifestyle that's dependent on fossil fuels, and we if you want to get rid of them, we're going back to like the 18th century. Well, look, look can we also do a little kumbaya on nuclear power? I've never been Let's against get nuclear, on nuclear power. power. Just Let's don't build it anywhere near way, Short some, Hills. Nowhere near Short Hills. Not in your back. I think maybe that's the problem. The Upper West Side. Is there room? Up? This is the problem. Nobody <laughs> wants to do it in no, their own backyard. I know. But if you if you want it, by the way, you can make the argument that we that the transition is too slow, right? And that you need, or you could argue that actually there wasn't enough investment and it was too, and, and needed to actually come faster so that you wouldn't get into this. Now, we could argue that that might be unrealistic because I don't know how quickly you could have actually pulled this off. If the, um, well, and nuclear might eventually include these new breakthroughs on, on controlled fusion, right. which would be, no, and, and why shouldn't, really cool why shouldn't we think that's going to happen? If the singularity is coming now in only seven years and we're going to. Okay, because I don't believe the singularity is coming in seven years. Why not? Despite what uh, oh, you, the Drudge Report, you're, you're like, Daily Mail no, is reporting. You're saying 40, you're 45 years old, so you have more time. See, I, it's coming in seven years, and I'm going to be like a but cyber... I, I want to think that nuclear power could be a reality. However, no, I think... No, it is a reality already. Well, no, but politically in this country, for reasons that are inexplicable to me. Well, Fukushima is one reason. If you put it next to the ocean, no. it's probably not... You know, it, there, are, there are concerns. You, you worry about you know, trace levels of CO2. Do you know if cesium gets out? Do you know how long that... Sticks around, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there are concerns. There are concerns. I'm not saying there's unreasonable. I, I think there are reasonable concerns, but I also think that there are unreasonable concerns. Right. To decide, sort of. You were never a nuclear power person. Excuse me. You were. You probably were not a nuclear. I've power. been a nuclear power person for at least a decade. Okay. Quietly. A lot of people that. No, it's very quiet, quietly. <laughs> as I said, very unpopular to say this aloud. No, well, I know. I watched I know. the Twitter, Twitter, uh, Twitterati come. But let me come after you now. Amen. No, I, I, we got to, it's all of the above. People said that. This is the story of all stories, folks, this morning. The owner of the New York's, uh, New York's, the New York's, Madison Square Garden, threatening to hold a sporting event without alcohol for the fans. This is James Dolan we're talking about. Uh, it's related to MSG's use of facial recognition technology, specifically lawyers affiliated with law firms involved in cases against Madison Square Garden Entertainment have reportedly been denied entry to events because the facial recognition sees them and stops them uh, as they're trying to walk in. Like law clerks. In an interview with a local New York news station, CEO James Dolan accused New York's liquor authority of threatening to take away his liquor license. So he said maybe he'd simply pick a night when the Rangers are playing to not serve any alcohol. Now there's a rule that says if you have a license, you have to serve. Dolan said people would still come to games even if liquor wasn't served. And he said he'd post flyers at shuttered beer stations with the email and phone numbers of the CEO of the state 
liquor authority. So there's this story is like multiple levels. One of the people that, to discuss that got thrown out wasn't even working on his case. It just happened to be employed by the same right. law firm. So how do, let's just start with how do you feel about using facial recognition, which, by the way, I didn't realize at MSG has been used since 2018. As you're walking in there, figuring out who you are and deciding, and maybe it's for security purposes or other things, you, are you cool with that? Let's start there. I'm cool for security reasons, okay. but once you're down on the slippery slope. Okay, so now you're on James Dolan's you-know-what list. Right. If you're on the list. Which we could be. Which we could, you, depending on what we say. Well, I don't you know how the statement's going to go. Might be not, right. So how do you feel about, you know, being feel, stopped? You, you bought the like ticket. I feel like it's uh, Orwellian. You're, you're going to see. Uh, you? It's not the government in this case, but uh, obviously people okay. are watching. Pri there, private, huh? pri is, it a, is it private property or do you consider it a public venue? Right, these, this is when it gets more. Well, you unique. know that, that there are places where, for example, Israel does pretty well in terms of, of plane security because if right. they see someone that, that fits the profile, they're allowed to say, look, you fit the profile. Over here, we got to. You know, the grandmother in the wheelchair, we got to do the same TSA check on her That's right. as everybody else. So it depends on, on where you want to live and how you want to No, live. but I'm, I was going in a private property way for you because I thought right. you might take the side of... My face is my private property? No, I thought you might take the side of it's Dolan's house. Dolan can let in anybody oh. in his house. Wow. Well, it's also a place where you're going, you know, everybody goes to see the Rangers. It's not I know. This is why I think it's a, it's a fascinating sort of public policy issue. I think in the, or in the Big Brother vein is what, where I'm started, what kind of world. I mean, what, if you were the government, let's say China, the CCP. Well, we already this know. This is the we CCP. Are, we already the know CCP what they do. The CCP is right. at 34th Street. Right. We already know what that's they what do. Is. We already know what they do. They can see dissidents or anyone that's, that's even tweeted something. That, right. Oh, These are Dolan dissidents. Right. That's what this is. Right. So it's almost like CCP. Yeah, All right. Well, you're not, you're not definitely not getting any free tickets. Coming up, TikTok under scrutiny nationwide, whether the China-based social media platform is really a threat to the United States, with New York Times foreign affairs columnist Tom Friedman. Let's go to 30,000 feet and ask, what kind of relationship does the United States want to have with China? Because it, it feels like we're kind of willy-nilly going into a Cold War. China and more around the globe, right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. 
Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square on this Friday morning. It's just the boys, Andrew Ross Sorkin, along with Joe Kernan. Becky's off today. Apologies to the audience. Hi, Senator. Can we ask you about your proposed bill to ban TikTok? What my bill does is it specifically goes after TikTok. It bans it. It doesn't ban any other app, but it also requires a comprehensive report to Congress on the national security threat that TikTok poses. A growing number of U.S. lawmakers are now calling for a ban on TikTok over concerns that the Chinese-owned social media platform puts Americans' data at risk. Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri introduced legislation to prohibit use of TikTok on all devices nationwide. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., or CFIUS, is investigating now the app's potential for national security risks as well. And Tom Friedman joins us this morning. He, of course, is the New York Times foreign affairs columnist. Uh, Tom, it's great to see you. What do you, what do you think here? Well, you know, Andrew, I, I think we need to stop for a second. Uh, let's go to 30,000 feet and ask, what kind of relationship does the United States want to have with China? Uh, because it, it feels like we're kind of willy-nilly, um, uh, you know, going into a Cold War. And I think we really have to ask ourselves, you know, where is all this going? Where do we want it to go? Um, on TikTok in specific, I think there's legitimate reason for concern. I mean, four ByteDance employees um, were dismissed, ByteDance being the Chinese parent of TikTok, uh, for basically hacking into the accounts of uh, four journalists who had written articles uh, exposing workplace issues inside TikTok. And they, they hacked into their accounts and used TikTok to track them. Now, you know, ByteDance, you know, released this. And um, uh, but that that's a very serious thing. That, that's actually the nightmare scenario. Right. Uh, since then, uh, let me just say one more thing. Um, ByteDance has, in its discussions with CFIUS, which oversees uh, security issues with U.S. exports, uh, has offered to um, to basically put all their uh, you know cloud data uh, in the United States uh, in Oracle servers that could basically be monitored by uh, CFIUS or or basically a, a team from CFIUS and and a third party. And I, I raise this because I think it's very important. Um, we have two choices here. We can just basically say anything coming out of China is a national security threat because anything that has a chip in it, you know, is going to be accessible. But my, my Chinese made toaster, do they, do they know how I like my bagels? I mean, we can go that route or we can create context that force them, inspire them and induce them to better behavior. And I think we need to think long and hard about which track we're going to go down there. But let me, let's, OK, let's start there then. Which track do you think we should be going down? I think we should be going down the track of creating context where we can um, uh, basically test um, and encourage Chinese companies uh, to behave better. Uh, let's take Huawei, for instance. Uh, you know, I, I would not be against saying to Huawei, look, we're, we're going to let you wire uh, with 5G uh, Idaho. We're going to watch right. you for two years. We're going to watch everything. Um, uh, if you do well, we'll give you Wyoming and Montana. I, I think it's really important to give them a ladder into better behavior. Otherwise, okay, but, but this goes Tom, everywhere. Tom, here's the question. Mm -hmm. is, the, is the risk in your mind that Americans are going to be hacked, um, the Chinese are going to know where people are, are going to know uh, details about them? Is that, is that what people worry about? Is that what you worry about? Is it the power and influence that the uh, platform could be used for in the future, which is to say to try to influence politics? Is it the 
I don't know if it's a monopoly, but the just the scale and scope of it insofar as, you know, I've had people say, look, uh, if, you know, we would never let a foreign, uh, 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 a foreign country, if not foreign adversary, own every local TV station in America. And maybe that's what uh, TikTok is, especially for a new generation. Which is it to you? Look, these are all, they're all serious problems and challenges. But uh, for me, Andrew, you really have to ask, um, again, I go back to where does this go? Are, are we going to ban any Chinese company? I, I'm much more worried about, frankly, Facebook than I am about TikTok today and the information Facebook has, how it was used to hack one of our elections. So uh, I, I'm a lot more worried about all these social networks, which I think are hugely problematic in terms of privacy issues. I, I, I don't use TikTok. I wouldn't want it on my phone, personally. Um, at the same because time, Because why? Because you think that there are folks who would actually would hack your phone itself yeah, or because I don't trust I don't trust any of I don't by the way I, I don't use Facebook either okay um, I think we're going to wake up one day 10 years from now and realize how destructive all of these social media have been for truth and trust in this country but that's another matter I'm talking about the US China relationship we've got to think about where this is going U.S.-China trade is extremely important, extremely important to our economy, the economy of the world, and global stability, okay? And so we've got to decide, are we basically going to run around saying, my God, the Chinese are coming, or are we going to take the threat seriously but create ladders for better behavior so we can uh, both benefit going forward? And that's where I would lean. Do you believe, and I interviewed the CEO of TikTok, I don't know, back in November at that Dealbook conference, and we talked about this Oracle cloud and trying to separate these things. There are some people who believe it's possible, meaning the algorithm would be different, it would live on a separate server, and you could feel uh, secure about the situation. There are others who say it's impossible. What do you think? Well, I'm not enough of a technological expert to know, you know whether uh, it is impossible or impossible, and I think it, 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 will, it will ride on the answer to that question, what, what the experts tell us. My general view on the whole U.S.-China trade relationship is that we should identify what is truly important for our national security and build very high walls around it when it comes to China. But then we should create a space of things that aren't really a threat to our national security, where we can engage in trade that's been mutually beneficial for our two countries uh, for almost five decades now. Hey, Tom, the, we've been talking about uh, moral relativism and all kinds of things and trying to, to navigate through this very difficult uh, geopolitical period. And, and we had uh, Secretary Pompeo on. He uh, got a lot of criticism about some of the comments he made about Khashoggi and, and how it was, I, I don't know whether I'd say he was enabling Saudi Arabia. He, he said it was not a good thing. It was awful. But there's like a bigger, there are, are bigger concerns. And sometimes I, I get that same feeling from you with, with China, that there are overriding concerns where more people would benefit from uh, softening our tone with China, knowing what goes on with the Uyghurs, knowing that, that you know, we're not going to change that, and maybe through coercion or, I don't know, as time goes by, maybe they, you know, they change their behavior. But in the meantime, it's a, it's a world where things like this exist. Do, do you yeah. agree yeah, with that? Some, is, is, China, yeah. is Saudi Arabia worse than China for what happened with Khashoggi, in your view? Um, I mean, Joe, the question you're asking is a very, very important one, because two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Uh, one thing can be true is that what Saudi Arabia did uh, to, to Khashoggi was simply, it was not only despicable, it was 
it, it is it, it's inexcusable. Un, uh, you know, it, it was one of the worst things I've seen a government you know do to an individual like that. At the same time, the very same government leader who ordered that um, has also initiated the the greatest social and religious reform in Saudi Arabia's modern history. A reform that has huge national security interests for the United States because Saudi Arabia is the home of Islam. To the extent that Islam is moderated out of Saudi Arabia, it affects the entire Arab Muslim world. When Saudi Arabia took the right turn it took in 1979, what started then, when it took this right fundamentalist puritanical firm, uh, turn, that ended up in 9-11. That, it start, what started in 1979 ended up in 9-11. So the fact that you have a Saudi leader who is reversing that, that's a huge uh, right. a U.S. interest. And at the Nuance, same time, yeah. you, Nuance, you, you can't... Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you can't How excuse about, in any way what he did to Khashoggi. While we have it, just shifting gears quickly, should we be upset with Germany? I mean, are they fully, in, are they fully engaged and uh, they part of the solution here, or is it just a lot of feet dragging? I mean, we had to, I don't know when they get the Abrams tanks. It's going to be a while, I think. Yeah. We're not giving them right, right away. We've got to build them or, or something. But... This was really just to get China finally to get off the snide and do something, wasn't it? To get to get. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Germany. Germany. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As they drag uh, Schultz. Yeah, you know, I mean, they they have a long relationship with Russia. They're basically right next door, and their concern, obviously, is that um, as is the United States' concern, is that uh, Ukraine would do, use these tanks to to uh, basically create. Uh, uh, to, to ride over the border into Russia and, and trigger World War III. At, at the end, they, they came around. I think, Joe, if you look about it in the, in the historical context, the fact that Germany, you know, which has been a pacifist power, obviously, since the end of the war, for, for good reasons, um, has tilted as much as it has uh, uh, toward the uh, Ukrainians and, and their fight with the Russians, that's a pretty big deal. And so I, 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 the fact that they've done it incrementally doesn't bother me. I think they came out on the right end of that, of that decision. Well, that's like that expression. They finally did the right thing after they did exhausted right. all, all the wrong things. Yeah. I guess. Okay. Okay. Tom Friedman, it's always good to see you, sir. You guys too. Thanks so much. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, layoffs are spreading across industries. Thousands of jobs cut at IBM, Microsoft, Dow Chemical, and many more companies. But labor consultant Jason Greer says mm, it's all about the bottom line. That it has a, a very negative impact on workplace culture. Unfortunately, what we're finding with so many of these executives, they don't care about that. All they care about is keeping their shareholders happy and making sure that their industries continue to thrive. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod today with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Stand by, Joe. Is Mike Q. Chipotle is launching a new hiring campaign looking to add 15,000 new employees. The chain wants to ensure its stores are uh, fully staffed ahead of its busiest time of the year. That's the March to May period. 
referred to as burrito season. It's a new one on me. Uh, restaurants have added jobs for 24 straight months since the height of the pandemic, but employment is still more than 3% lower uh, than before the pandemic. And I, I uh, I'm, yeah, burrito season. Yeah, it's, it's always burrito season. But, but no, um, Chipotle needs more employees. I just, I've had some bad experiences at, at yeah. this one, but yeah, at one particular place. What's your, what's your well, I've ordered online and gotten there, and it's been 45 minutes, and you know, just not not a good uh, experience. I, you know, success breeds. Sometimes success can breed more success, or it can breed some complacency. And I'm glad they're they're they need more workers to satisfy customers. This is the American way: pay them, bring them in, get it going. Now they can't stay at home. You're going to have a, you're going to have a, I think you're going to have a discussion about that coming Let's up. Let's talk about it. Some people have to go to work, Andrew. Some pe- look at us. Oh, yeah. Here we course. are. I'm glad um, to be here. Layoffs spreading beyond high growth uh, tech stocks. Hasbro, Dow, 3M, IBM, and SAP are the latest now to downsize their workforce. As follows, some big job cuts from the likes of Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and others. Here with a look at the rising wave, uh, wave of job cuts. Jason Greer, he's Greer Consulting founder and president. Also, Jessica uh, Kriegel is the Culture Partners Workplace uh, Culture Chief Scientist. Good morning to both of you. Good morning. You know, we've been talking about sort of this wave moving, uh, Jason, but there's two questions. One is how quickly do you think people are getting picked up on one end? But the other side of this is how big the severance packages are, because one of the things that's held this economy up so far has been consumer uh, spending. And thus far, it remains unabated. And I wonder whether it's because the severance packages I don't want to say have been rich, but have been something. Well, severance packages have been big. What we're typically seeing, especially in the tech industry, is that people who've been laid off are picking up jobs within a month to three months, largely because they started networking prior to layoffs because the whispers were going on within their organizations. But it's also because they have skill sets that people are looking for. But it also comes back to the fact that these companies, because they don't want to look bad, are giving very generous severance packages, especially to their high-skilled talent. Jessica, I mean, one of the questions, this is actually, and there's some studies on this, actually, that, you know, if you have large severance packages, some people, uh, have scientists have looked, or and not scientists, uh, professors and others have looked and said, you know what, maybe these layoffs actually haven't been worth it in the end. Absolutely. The Harvard Business Review did studies on how companies navigated through recessions. And the top 9% of companies who were thriving post-recessions were companies who did not have layoffs. They didn't do layoffs and they reacted with a calm state of mind. Staying calm right now is an act of nonconformity. There are a lot of CEOs who are freaking out and rushing to layoffs. And there are other CEOs, frankly, who are taking advantage of the headlines and getting rid of dead weight, knowing they don't have to have layoffs, but they can right now because everyone else is. So we'll get away with it, which is really Jessica, are you arguing it's been a mistake? I mean, there's other people who look at the the growth in employment at some companies and say, It's been wild. It is a mistake. That is what the research shows. Uh, The economy goes through cycles. And so on average, a recession lasts 15 months right now. By the time you lay all those people off, you have to then rehire eventually, retrain those people. Your other employees who stayed get burned out. Some of them leave because they're irritated with the way that managing management is handling it. It is a mistake. That's what the research shows. But but can I just ask? That research, most of that research looks back at companies, more industrial companies um, over, say, the last 20 years. I think the last study really was just up to a couple years ago. 
If you look at the tech industry specifically, there was a lot of hiring that went on, especially during the pandemic. And a lot of the CEOs, and especially in tech land, said, look, we just overhired. We just had physically too many people. We should not have done it. It was a mistake. That seems different than the sort of classic uh, situation where you have layoffs. Well, there's two things going on. There is the mistake of having layoffs, which is not the right move going into a recession, as the research shows. But the other thing is, many of these tech companies don't understand workplace culture. They think workplace culture is the perks. It's hiring a masseuse. I mean, I just saw a headline that Google was laying off their very highly paid masseuses. 27 of them, no less. Yeah, I mean, unbelievable. So when you're hiring masseuses, maybe you have gotten a little bit fat and happy. Those are not what makes workplace culture work. Workplace culture is the experiences we have when I get a Zoom call, when my manager right, calls but, me. And I got to get back to Jason, but Jessica, that's the point. The point is that if you have 27 masseuses, you probably actually, maybe layoffs are warranted. And that, that's why I'm saying these studies, which thus far have suggested that maybe layoffs don't work, might be applicable to a different generation of business. Well, let's see what Jason has to say about it. Jason, where do you land? Here's where I land. Look, the tech sector moves fast. And... Whether we like it or not, we have these group of tech executives who are consistently thinking, what's the next big thing? They went about, they hired a bunch of people when it, remote work was the big thing, and now they're moving toward machine learning. Now they're moving toward, you see, Microsoft tried to dump $69 billion into the acquisition of, of Activision. I think what it really comes down to is the fact that for tech companies, they really don't care about layoffs because it's still about the business. It's still about the money. I do agree with Jessica that it has a, a very negative impact on workplace culture. Unfortunately, what we're finding with so many of these executives, they don't care about that. All they care about is keeping their shareholders happy and making sure that their industries continue to thrive. So what would you do, though? I'll give you an example. Salesforce, a company now under a lot of fire from activist investors. That's part of what's happening here, which is that investors are looking at these balance sheets and also looking at uh, the staffing and saying there's a mis- mismatch. They're also, by the way, looking at the Twitters of the world, uh, seeing what Elon Musk did and saying the thing still seems to be running. We can obviously debate all sorts of elements of, uh, of Twitter, if you like, but it seems to be working. And he cut, you know, two thirds of the place. Yeah. But here's what I would say to them is you have to be careful about setting a dangerous precedent. If right now, if, think about think about this mindset. If the idea is, well, we're operating pretty well, we're making a lot of cash, but everyone else is laying people off, so let's just go ahead and lay people off. Even though we're still financially thriving, that's a dangerous precedent. You also gotta consider the negative impact that this is gonna have on the people who are still remaining within your organization. You brought up Elon Musk. Elon Musk has basically taken Twitter, it's kind of like his treasure chest, and he's having fun with it, whatever the case might be. But you look at the negativity and you look at the fact that he had staff dissent to the point where people are calling him out on Twitter. What these organizations have to take a look at, a critical look at, is if I lay off 5 right. or 10%, but I'm still thriving financially, what is that saying to the rest of my employees and what are they going right. to do as a result? Uh, folks, we got to uh, say thank you. I want to thank both of you. We'll continue that debate about layoffs, of course. And that's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the best of our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. It must be very hard to pick the best uh, for our people. I don't know what they leave on the, uh, on the cutting room floor because it's all amazing. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Watch the Twitter uh, Twitterati come. But let me come after you now. 
Our handle is at Squawk CNBC. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 